everybody. This is Jess, and this is the Not Carrie Bradshaw podcast. Thanks for joining me again. This week, I am super excited. I have an amazing interview with one of my really good friends, my god sister, Tracy Pickett, who is a lawyer by trade, entrepreneur by passion. She's going to give us some really great tips about like where to start in terms of entrepreneurship, um, just to kind of give you a good idea of how to start from a business perspective um, in terms of licensing, copywriting, and things like that. She's also going to tell us a little bit about her journey of going from corporate to entrepreneurship. She's also going to give some recommended reading. So I'm super excited for you guys to hear from her. First, though, I want to discuss a couple of things happening in pop culture. We are fresh off of Beyonce's bomb-ass Coachella performance. I have to say, one of the many reasons why I love Beyonce is that I feel like she does things that make a very specific kind of Black woman feel seen. And one of those, I guess, categories of Black women is being from the South. And her whole Coachella performance was just like this ode to HBCUs and the culture of marching bands. And um, while I was so thrilled with her performance and I'm always just so blown away by her abilities as an artist and then to also know that she's a mother of three doing all this bomb shit, it just, it blows my mind how amazing she is. What bothered me though was the conversations on social media afterwards where you had people who decided to take this as an opportunity to spark up the HBCU versus PWI debate. For anyone who does not know, HBCU, Historically Black Colleges and Universities, PWIs, predominantly white institutions. I think that that is a very trivial, strange thing for us to be divisive over as Black people. And I just find it really annoying to argue about like where you chose to get higher education, especially because you don't know why a person chose the college or university they chose. It's a very personal decision. And this assumption that if you chose to go to a PWI, it means that you're uppity, quote unquote. I kept seeing that. And I went to PWIs for both of my degrees, not necessarily because I was like, through black people, it just kind of happened. I applied to like six or seven colleges in high school. I got accepted to all of them. Three of them were HBCUs, two of which I had scholarships to go to. Long story short, I just ended up at Georgia Southern University. Um, It just kind of happened and it really had nothing to do with me not wanting to be around black people. I'm from Atlanta. I damn near feel like Atlanta invented black culture. And there's this whole thing of um, a whole group, I think, of black people who did not grow up with black culture who go to HBCUs to experience that, which, again, is fine. Everybody's black experience does not have to be the same. But please don't compare your blackness to my blackness based on what college I went to. Like, you don't want to come at me with that and you shouldn't be coming at other people with that. You went where you went. I went where I went. But I am going to say, again, I'm from Atlanta. 
marching band culture was always a part of our lives. We grew up immersed in black culture. I danced with the band in high school. I was very aware of what was going on. So again, that's such a weird thing to be divisive over and to come at somebody about. Second thing, um, I'm loving Cardi B's album. I'm loving her evolution. I'm loving um, just how we've had a front row seat to her glow up. And it's amazing. Um, I'm also really enjoying Nikki's two new singles. I'm super happy to see her back in the social media sphere. Um, I've been a Nikki fan since 2008, I think. 2007, something? Not sure. One of those. I know it's college. Um, and I'm excited to hear this fourth album. I'm hoping that it will be more like the Nikki I came to know and love in the beginning, but that's another conversation for another day. My point is, it is possible to enjoy multiple female rappers at the same time. We do not need to compare them. We do not need to pit them against each other. Black women don't have enough privilege to be that divisive. Do they have to love each other? No. Do we need to say who's better and da da da? No. They're both good in their own right. That's just like when people try to compare Beyonce and Rihanna, two completely different artists. They don't need to be compared. Why do we feel the need to do that? Why can't LeBron James just be good at what he does right now in basketball without being compared to Michael Jordan? I genuinely don't understand that. Write in, let me know, what is that about? Um, I think that's it for now. Those are the things bothering me. Uh, yeah, drop me a line, let me know what you guys think about that. Um, like, comment, subscribe as per usual. The email address is still ncbpodcast at gmail.com. And next up will be the interview with Tracy Pickett. Stay tuned. Welcome, everybody, to the Not Carrie Bradshaw podcast. I'm super excited and a little bit buzzed because my god sister made me a drink, as she always does. And she's our interview guest for today. Say hey, Tracy. Hey, everybody. Stop talking like Janet Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> that Janet whisper. <laughs> okay, I'll bring it up a little bit. Thank you. Okay. okay, so Tracy, tell the people who you are what you do and why and try to leave me out of it although I know you want to relate everything back to our very special relationship just keep it focused on you okay I'll do my best <laughs> um, my name is Tracy Pickett I'm a native of Atlanta Georgia um, and I'm an attorney by trade so I always wanted to be an attorney since I was a kid and when I got my law degree first and worked for five years in corporate America, in corporate and intellectual property law. Um, but then I decided to leave my job because I've always had a passion for entrepreneurship. And so that is what I do full time now. So I left my job in October of 2016. It was my fifth anniversary, which was my deadline that I gave myself. Um, and so now I um, am leading two companies. The first one is Eboticon, and we create culturally relevant emojis. So I always ask people if they've seen the Won't Do It 
uh, dancing woman on um, Facebook uh, because usually that's the biggest reference that people know about. So that's Ebody Kind's Emojis app. Uh, we've been in business for three and a half years now. Well, that flew by. Yeah, I know. I right? feel like we just did like the, I was in the like, what is it called? Where you like promo a product, the group testing phase. Oh, yeah, the focus yeah. group. Yeah, the focus yes. group. I yes. couldn't find that in my mind for shit just then. <laughs> but that happens so fast. That yeah. brings by. I can't believe it's been that long. So, yeah, that's Ebodicon, um, and then Hairbrella, which I launched last year. And that is a rain hat that insulates women's hair from the rain without sweating it out. And um, it was an idea that I came up with when I was in school and decided to develop it. And then at the point that I was going to be trying to build two companies, that's when I decided to leave my job. So those are uh, the two companies that I'm working to build. That's what I do every day. I do um, take on a couple of clients here and there just to make sure that I don't lose all of my lawyering skills. Um, I love the term lawyering. Can we find that in the Oxford Dictionary? Not sure, (laughs) uh, but it should be there. Um, So yeah, that's what I do. And I do it because I love it. Um, I can say that um, being an attorney is a great asset, but it's not what I love to do. It's not your passion. Exactly. So for a lot of people who have bought into Damon Dash's belief that you ain't a real nigga if you don't work for yourself, (laughs) (laughs) Um, people who have the desire to become entrepreneurs, but they have a lucrative career, Mm. what would you tell them about, or rather, like, what was your aha moment or your doomsday that you were like, what made you say at five years, I'm going to do this? Did you have a certain monetary savings that you were aiming for? Like, what made you say, I'm going to leave this lucrative career to work for myself? Yeah, well, my biggest kind of um, motivation behind not continuing in my law career was that I did have an idea, ideas that I wanted to Develop, and I knew that if I stayed in that career, I would not develop them. I would never know what would have come from them, and I would have regretted it. So I thought about being 65, becoming either a partner or a general counsel somewhere, and the idea that that's what would be in my obituary is Tracy dedicated her entire life to this firm or to this corporation and made them a lot of money just didn't make sense to me I'm like that's so interesting um I feel like looking at this might sound really morbid but go with me on this Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people reserve like get some amount of peace or clarity from thinking about their demise Mm -hmm. so there's a girl um Alex Wolf she came up with the whole boss babe thing from like years ago so I went to a networking event where she was speaking and she was like she has been thinking you know she's like at the time I was thinking about death a lot and whenever I got overwhelmed I kept just telling myself you know what one day this won't matter because mm. we are all just floating through space yeah. on a blue marble and it won't matter. And initially I was like, this bitch might be crazy. But <laughs> there really is like some amount of clarity from thinking about like the ultimate end yeah. and like what do you want your ultimate end to look like? So in terms of having left corporate America, can you say for sure like what you want your legacy to be? Well, yes, I do know what I want my legacy to be. It's one... I do believe that there's a unique opportunity to be able to accomplish things that 
women of color have never been able to accomplish. Mm. And we have the opportunity to do that, even though it might be hard, even though we might not get funding, even though it might cost us everything that we had initially. I believe every generation is called to do something that will one up that the previous generation. So the next one feels like, heck yeah, I can start my own business. Heck yeah, I can invent a product. You know, so I think it's more of a calling. Like it's it's one thing to be able to work and and be able to contribute to someone else's what what they built, but it won't make um, as big of an impact if you know you feel that. And I I do feel that God gave me the idea. If that is something that was given to me, I feel like it's my responsibility to follow through on that. And if I don't, I feel like I'm wasting my time here on earth because we can we can find many ways to make money and live the life we want to live. But is that going to contribute to anything after you? And I believe that following my passion for entrepreneurship is going to do more for the people that I might be able to encourage or influence and to build a legacy than following my traditional career path that I was kind of told that I should follow. So, so um, at that same event where I heard Alex Wolf talk, there was also one of the co-founders of Blavity, and I'm completely drawing a blank on his name right now, but y'all can Google it if you care that much. Um, <laughs> he was saying that a lot of people want to go into entrepreneurship because they view it as this level of like freedom, and it's just mm-hmm. like, I can't work for nobody. I can't mm-hmm. do a nine to five. Da, da, da. But he was saying that you really need to evaluate what freedom looks like for oh, you yeah. because if you're the boss, you're not as free as you think you are. Oh, Can no. you speak a bit to that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's um, uh, Freedom sounds great, but with freedom comes tremendous responsibility. And I know that's so cliche to say, mm-hmm. but it's such a real thing. Um, no one is going to... Uh, punish you or reward you one way or the other for whether or not you show up. Um, That freedom also comes with uh, the burden of knowing that if you fail, you can only blame you. Right. (laughs) Yes. A tremendous burden to bear. Like there's something to be said for being a part of an organization and only having to handle one aspect of it. So you fail. I mean, the organization is going to keep going. Right. If you fail as a leader, then everything falls down and then you've got to kind of figure out how you're going to get yourself back up so I think um and and then the self-discipline that's the other thing Um, oh that was going to be my next question how (laughs) do you self-discipline because I I think that um one one part that being a lawyer played and going to law school played for me was that it taught me how disciplined I could be if I had to be so When when I went to law school, one of the first meetings that the you know the professors kind of brought all the freshmen in first years is what we're called, um, and said, "All right, say goodbye to all of your shows, say goodbye to all of your social media accounts, say goodbye to all of your hanging out with your friends. Just say goodbye. Just have a little moment, right? A moment of silence. You're no longer going to have time for that. And if you take the time for that, you could potentially fail out of this class because 10% of you guys are not going to go to the next level." Another 20% of you guys are going to get D's or lower and be on probation. And then the other 30, I mean, 70 or so percent, you guys will have a chance to try again next year to possibly make it to where you can graduate. And I'm like, first of all. Yeah, like, how did you receive that? Because I know your upbringing and I know how your mama teaches us that you do not have to receive anything that anybody just gives you. (laughs) 
Well, the only thing I can do is say, well, either I'm going to try to actually go through with this. And I cried. I cried. My mom literally had to pray me through the first three months because that was really tough for me, especially if you're talking about a room full of people that pretty much did well, you know, to get through school and college. So this idea that some of us have to fail because of this curve right. and that you're competing against everybody else who also made straight A's all the way through school and could care less who you are, you know, they're just trying to compete. So at this point, I was like, wow, so I need to learn to be far more disciplined, to work harder than the next person, which again, I mean, I, I felt like in school, you could pretty much manage and get by. It was not a problem. But in law school, it's, it's about doing better than the next person, not just doing enough. See, I didn't know that. I didn't yeah. realize how competitive it was. Oh, and yeah. I feel like this is so basic, but <laughs> looking at like how to get away with murder, like you do see some level of that competitive that competitiveness. But mm-hmm. I think that I was looking at it from like the perspective of it being like very fictionalized, but that's real. No, that is very real. There's something called a force curve, which means that they can only give out so many A's, so many B's in the curve, mm-hmm. so many C's. So many D's and so many F's. And like, it's not that they have to, um, once they figure it out, you know, move people over. It's like, no, no, no. If you do better than at least 90% of people, you will get the A. And if you don't do better than at least 90% of the people, you're going to get an F. That is so stressful. Like, and there's the people in the F category could be getting most of it right. Like, in any other regular grading scale, they would have gotten the B. But just because everybody else did a little bit better than that B that you earned, you get an F. So that's why every year so many people get cut off. And that's why law school is so stressful because you literally are just competing. I just got tired and stressed (laughs) out secondhand just from listening to that. I have nothing to do with that. I have earned the degrees that I want to earn. And I just got so stressed out from the mere notion of that. And the fact that like... I would probably have to just, like, say, fuck it, I'm going to start stripping. Because, like, I, ain't no way. You truly have to have a passion for that. Yeah. I can't. Um, yeah, that- it taught me a lot of self-discipline because I had to learn to read for 16 hours in a day during exams. I mean, my schedule became being in the library at 7 a.m. and shutting down at 12 p.m. and learning that I only had... You know, 30 minutes to cook and watch Oprah at 4 o'clock, and that was, like, my downtime for the day. So I ended up learning to work a lot harder and knowing that my only motivation was that I didn't want to fail. And so that is what I believe translates well to entrepreneurship. Well, that's interesting, too, because I want to get your thoughts on the whole failing upward thing because Mm -hmm. we're taught, especially even as Christians— that there's so many lessons in failure and in hardship and especially in like the tech world there's this whole notion of failing upwards and fail often but I kind of feel like um and and while I understand it in theory something I've been thinking about a lot lately is that I think it takes a bit of privilege to be able to fail because all of us aren't going to get another opportunity to fail again Mm -hmm. so how do you like as a black woman reconcile the level of privilege you don't have to be able to fail like because I think that that kind of scares a lot of people away from even doing any kind of endeavor even if it's not entrepreneurial but just like even going for a promotion that they really want in someone else's company like how do you reconcile that kind of like fear but also like reality that we may not get as many opportunities as like Bill
podcast left off, we were discussing the privilege associated with failing upwards. Can you speak to that as a black woman who's in tech, who we oftentimes don't like have the privilege of failing without the fear that we won't get like another opportunity to fail again? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was uh, thinking about a story where I was in law school in the Trust in the States class and all of the majority students who are asking you can about, say white people okay, it's white okay people. <laughs> <laughs> my audience isn't a ton of white people <laughs> okay <laughs> um they were asking about like the tax implications for all of the trust properties and income that they were going to be um receiving and basically just how to manage it from a legal perspective and my study partner and i she was actually valedictorian at spelman looking at each other like what are they talking about i mean to ask our parents for like new tires is like a huge deal (laughs) yeah like we tried it let alone to know that there's all this money coming from you know our parents grandparents who have this property or have this uh trust is set up for everybody in their whole lineage that general generational wealth absolutely so you think about the implications of trying to start a business. If you needed $150,000 to start your business, that was no big deal. I mean, and they, and again, too, they have the expertise to be able to tell you, oh, here's who I use in terms of contractor, here's my tax person, you know. Yeah. So you have just kind of, you're handed not only more resources not to fail as much, but you're given the opportunity to do so without the fear of blowing all of your savings right. and ending up in a far less position than what you you even started with and you don't have to worry about your income and that is the biggest thing that I feel like is makes you know doing this from a um, black woman's perspective unless you just for some reason your family has been able to back you up like that you do not have the opportunity to fail but once if you've already set yourself up to be able to like float your income for six to twelve months because that's really what it takes to even begin to start a business so um, the idea that failing up, I think that, of course, comes from our counterparts, our you know, white brothers and sisters. It is safe <laughs> to talk about white people here. Like, this is a safe space. They have, they have the opportunity to do that because failing does not mean I lose. Failing means I learn something, whereas failing for us means, uh-oh, credit messed up, my right. lost the house. And right, right. So like failure, I think failure is a relative term for people. Like failure means different things to different people. Just like being broke means different things to different people. If I say I'm broke, I legit mean if we swipe this card, (laughs) it's going to overdraft and some people might come look for us. Whereas another person being broke means like falling into the triple digits in their like checking account. I would love to be one of those people. It's one of my small goals. So anyway, how do you... How do you reconcile that fear, I guess, in terms of like knowing that failure is a part of the process, but still kind of like powering through, Mm -hmm. still knowing that, like, and knowing that even though I'm be real with y'all, their family is doing well, but black wealth is different from white wealth. And so we don't have that like huge cushion that some other people have. So knowing that if you quote unquote fail like how do you reconcile knowing that you don't have a huge trust fund to fall back on or like how do you move forward yeah 
So we're going to pause and take a break. And Tracy's going to come back and answer that question for us or whatever. left off, we were talking about reconciling the fear of failure alongside the fact that there are so many teachable moments that come along with failing. But then you also have, and I didn't mention this previously, I don't know if you feel this obligation to kind of carry every Black person with you in every endeavor, because I think that that's why we're not like critical of Black things, Mm -hmm. because we always are afraid that like, if this one black thing doesn't succeed, we won't get another chance, but we also need that freedom to fail a little bit, to learn how to to do better. How do you reconcile that? Like, how does that not, because I know for me, and I don't have nearly the pressures that you have, that stalls me a little bit, like Mm -hmm. from even going after certain things that I want. So how do you reconcile that? Um, You know, it's not reconciled. It is just the risk I feel like I have to take. Um, And my prayer is that despite the inability to fail um, and kind of catch myself like others have or can because they have that backing, that God will grace me to be able to not necessarily fall flat on my face. You know, right. to the point yeah. that I can't pick myself back up. So it's really just about the faith of it and knowing that, um, you know, if I, I, I do feel the conviction that I had to try. Right. And yeah. if I, because I feel that there's not as much angst about failing because if I fail I know that I did what I felt like I was supposed to do you fulfilled a purpose you went after okay so I feel like that's like the broader thing Mm -hmm. um I'm trying to think how to I've been trying to think on how to properly word this like feeling of like when it comes to like self-help and advice and things like that I always kind of feel we were discussing this a little bit earlier in terms of like weight loss and adopting like a healthier lifestyle Mm -hmm. you have to find what works for you and I feel like when you get so deep into self-help you end up trying all these like different things Mm -hmm. but you have to ultimately like find what works for you absolutely but there are these like general I kind of feel like kind of like umbrella principles that can like help you mm-hmm. to at least proceed from an intentional place. Mm-hmm. So um, we've discussed this hella times before, but in terms of people who, whether they want to quit their job and go full entrepreneurial endeavor, or if they're doing what I do, which is work a nine to five and, you know, work on passion projects as well. What should most of us be doing just as like a starter pack, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. in terms of being business smart, being business savvy, like protecting your intellectual property? Like what are like those initial steps that people should be taking? Yeah, Um, I do think getting financially fit, so to speak, is a like number one. And while our uh, white people don't have to necessarily do that first because this kind of set out for them. That's mm-hmm. something we, that's like an extra step I feel like black people have to take mm-hmm. to find the nine to five that's going to support you financially, to find the nine to five that's going to allow you to either gather assets or get the credit that allows you to borrow money to start right. something. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really, really important to eliminate debt, to get some kind of asset. My home that I bought, you know, a couple years into practicing has financed a lot of my business endeavors okay. because 
it was a great investment. I had a lot of equity in the home and I was able to pull on that when I didn't have investors. So that's another thing that I feel like, you know, take that step, do that first, get financially fit, figure out how it is that you can um, get access to resources because trying to start a business without money is only going to put you more at a disadvantage in terms of trying to build it. Beyond that, of course, you want to get your, um, you want to incorporate your business in some way. So be it an LLC, um, um, a corporation, an S-Corp, um, and also having some type of accounting. Pause. What's an S-Corp? An S-Corp is a version of a corporation. So you have a C-Corp, which is most of your INC when you mm-hmm, see mm-hmm. that behind a business name. Um, an S-Corp is a bit of a hybrid between an LLC and an, a C-Corp. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't have all of the requirements around having like board minutes and those types of things, but mm-hmm. you get a lot of the same protection tax-wise mm-hmm. than you would from an LLC. So I don't want to get too into the details, yeah. but um, I would say for most people, LLC is the easiest form to um, incorporate your business. It's kind of what you want to start with. As you start to mature and get more business in and have employees, the S corporation is going to be more favorable in terms of income because if, if your company is paying you, then you want to be able to tax the company appropriately and take advantage of those um, uh, advantages. And then you want to be able to take advantages of you receiving income from the business rather than LLC, which treats the whole income from the business as one like tax um, kind of tax object in terms of um, taxation. So. Um, and then the C-Corp is for very mature businesses, one that might go public once you've really gotten into like the millions in revenue. Right. Um, so that, of course, and then you want to protect your assets, of course. So anytime you talk to somebody about your business, you want to have an NDA in place. Um, you want to trademark your name so that you can protect it so that no one else can kind of take advantage of the goodwill that you've created. So if you created Acme Weave, right, mm-hmm. and you are selling online and everybody loves Acme Weave so they buy anything they see Acme Weave on and somebody else starts an Instagram page it's like Acme Weave plus right and, right know, so you just want to make sure that you once you create it or as you're creating that goodwill around your brand that you've got some protection um and of course trademark is the way to do that so getting IP I'm a big advocate for and it's another reason why you need to have the money because it's like oh I don't want to spend a thousand dollars or fifteen hundred dollars protecting whatever I've, I've spent almost eight thousand dollars on my patent mm-hmm. but that patent now will protect an asset that can make me way more than this eight thousand dollars I initially invested so it's just important to make have the money to make the investments up front because if we're skimping in the beginning and we don't have access to, to resources to help us to protect legally the things that we're building, yeah. we're just left vulnerable. You, that's just, what I was going to yeah. say. It's kind of like you you make yourself vulnerable mm-hmm. to people. Like we live in the age of scammers. Like yeah. I'm always so impressed with the level of intellect that goes into scamming. Like, damn, if you put that somewhere <laughs> not shitty, right. you'd be really great. Right. And I know for me, I think about especially like as a writer or as a creative which I kind of hate using that word because I feel like it's kind of bastardized these days Uh but I'm always a little bit paranoid about someone stealing my intellectual property um and you have been a bit of a legal advisor for me but I just for the audience what's the difference between copywriting and trademarking yeah so uh trademarking and the, the way that my law school professors try to get us to differentiate um you can tell me if this is like not the best explanation, yeah but it's the way i think now um trademark protects the public 
copyright protects the author. Okay. So, and to, to kind of take that into an example, trademark is we're going to make sure that people who create a brand, meaning the public recognizes this particular you know, name, this particular logo, and they have associated that logo with some type of value. That okay. They and so we don't want anyone else to be able to come in and create um, a product that they this the public thinks is associated with this brand. So they're making decisions thinking they're about to get this kind of value when it's not that company. Okay, okay? so it's like the legitimacy, like protecting the legitimacy to the public so that you aren't buying into something that's actually like a spin-off, mm-hmm. watered-down version of what you think you're signing up right, for. Yeah, okay, the okay. Okay, gotcha. You know, right? okay. And, and it speaks to the brand you create, the logo create, whatever it is that you put into commerce that represents this brand. So that can be a logo, that can be a trade name, it can be the name of your app, it can be, um, I mean, these days it could could potentially be, you know, Instagram page title or whatever, but whatever it is that people associate with the product, the name of it, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, even trade dress, so like the way that a McDonald's looks on the outside, you could walk up to a building and it looks just like a McDonald's and it's McDowell's, right? Yes, coming to America. (laughs) Which I was like, this is clearly trademark infringement, but we won't get it. Right. Um, But that's what trademark protects. So, And then copyright, on the other hand, protects the author. So this is the ability to put something, register something with the USPTO, which is the unit United States Trademark and Patent Office and say, I created this, here's my name attached to it, here's a copy of it, mm-hmm. and now if anyone else does the same thing, publishes it without giving me credit, then they owe me money. Mm-hmm. Um, so that more so protects the author. I get to keep these works, so you're talking about books, you're talking about songs, you're talking about um, you know works of art, mm-hmm. you know, these mm-hmm. are things that, not necessarily associated with any brand, but it's a work of art that is, should be attributed to the author. So if you create a video and then you have this music attached to it, you should attribute the author. So that's a copyright issue. Whereas if you're talking about something that people are associating with a brand, like what it is that you you uh, have created to tell people, hey, this type of product is coming from this particular company or entity, that's a trademark issue. Okay, so we have deciding how you want to like register your business as LLC, corporation, mm-hmm. and then we have also protecting your intellectual property. What's like your next step for beginner entrepreneurs who just want to like jump out there? Or uh, is there a next step? Or yeah. is that the part where it's like, okay, this is the this is the skeleton, this is the base, now figure out what works for you? Um, so no, I would say even before there is trademark protection and investing in that, you've got to invest in your product and developing whatever okay. your product is. And so um, that starts with one research, figure out what's already out there. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. How is yours going to be different from someone else's? What is the value proposition? I mean, we live in an age where people can Google and get 50 options for everything. So right. What is it that you're going to bring to the table that you really believe is going to fill the niche in the market? And once you figure out what that is and develop it, then you get to the intellectual property stuff. But the, the most important thing is, what am I bringing to market and why does that even matter? And with 50 advertisements that we see on Instagram or sponsorships or whatever, it's like you that the, the pressure to make that stronger and stronger is even higher now because yeah. there's so much competition. So I would say... Um, developing your product if your product is a brand developing that brand if your product is a service developing that service getting feedback on it 
So mm-hmm. that would be the second step. So after you've devised it, you're talking to people about it, just like what we did with the focus group. Get people in, tell them, please hurt my feelings. And you know what? I <laughs> I definitely did that even with y'all. Like I feel like I'm a very small entrepreneur, creative entrepreneur, but I do have like my trusted kind of advisory board of people who if I really and putting out something that I have not put out before, like people who I'm comfortable talking to and saying, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And having that extra set of very trusted eyes, not everybody, because you're not going to please everybody with right. everything that you put out, but having that trusted set of eyes look over something, they can see those things that you haven't seen. Mm-hmm. So yeah, just for me and like my smaller endeavor, I definitely have that. Like yeah. I have my focus groups mm-hmm. of like, even with my pictures, before I put out like yeah. something for a photo shoot because I don't see myself the way other people do. Mm-hmm. I have somebody else who is slightly more ob- like objective mm-hmm. <laughs> to tell me like, what do you think about this? How should we filter? How should we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. I, I think because we're already nervous about putting ourselves out there, putting our company out there, our product out there. The last thing we want to do is hear somebody tell us, actually, it's whack. Actually, I don't think anybody want to buy this because we have these options and yours is too expensive. Right. And uh, there's not even a need for this in the market. You can think you have the best idea and see so clearly why everybody in the world would want it. Trust me when I tell you, 90% of those businesses won't make it. And Mm. it's not because it wasn't a good idea, but because you haven't actually put it in the hands of people and got them to criticize it to the point that you get something that they have, like what they call product market fit, Mm -hmm. where you got the right product in the right time and climate to the right, marketing it to the right demographic, Mm -hmm. and also something that is differentiated and adds more value than what the alternative Mm-hmm. offers mm-hmm. and going through that process will save you a lot of time and money because what you end up doing is and people will tell you you might end up with a product that you didn't even intend to end up with which is a lot of if you listen to white people's podcasts mm-hmm. and to their stories sometimes their initial idea was one thing and it ended up being next only because they literally relentlessly listened to people and got them to tell them what they liked and didn't like mm. and ended up creating something that the market wanted Wow, And that's all you need to do is figure out, like, you might have an idea about what a good product might be, mm-hmm. but the that's only the seed. Right. That's the only thing that gets you to put something in the market that actually people can actually tangibly test, right, mm-hmm. or read or, or give a reaction to. And once they do that, then it's like, let me get the feedback and then you iterate. Okay, let me change this about it. Okay, now, would you buy this at this price? Mm-hmm. No, actually, I wouldn't buy it at this price. It's too expensive. Well, what can I change about this product? Okay, now I'm bringing it back. Would you buy this product at this price? Actually, yeah, I would, but only if I'm at these places. Okay, here's where I can market. You know, so yeah. that process of getting down to, wow, now I have this product at this price. I've talked to enough people that would buy in these situations and attach that to a marketing plan. That's when you have a business. Okay. But I think we start already trying to figure out all the things that protect it's like you don't have anything to protect until you've gotten enough feedback so that's the other big piece to like and it takes time it took me over six months after I developed the product to get to a point where I felt like I had gotten enough feedback to put it in a general market Mm -hmm. Um, and so if anything before you get your LLC before you get your trademark before you even get all the super financing for everything in the business make sure you've got something that you have vetted in terms of what people want, what they want to pay for it, and where they would buy it. Okay, I think that's 
a whole lot for us. To, <laughs> no, it's very beneficial. That's like a great like starting point. Do you have any recommended reading like yeah. for people who want to start like Absolutely. from day one? Um, so I and I would say re- become obsessive about books and podcasts on entrepreneurship because I've learned more from those resources than all of my years of schooling because again you it's one of those things you didn't you don't get a degree in entrepreneurship I mean I know little programs are popping up here and there but you gotta know like what other people went through so that you can navigate it so my favorite book which is actually propping up uh this your mic mic right now uh, because I had it with me today when I went to church um is Mentor by Millionaire by Stephen K. Scott and his Master Strategies of Super Achievers. This book was written years ago. My mom made me read another book written by this guy, and then I found this one and read it before law school. And he studied some of the most successful super achievers of our time and studied what they all did that might have been like some common thread mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and breaks it down in this book. And so oh, cool. the biggest takeaway from the book is about vision mapping which is really where, and it sounds so elementary, but when you read it, you realize it's an extremely tedious process. Um, Vision mapping, meaning you set a goal, but then how to break that down, that goal down into specific milestones. Okay. Break those milestones into specific tasks that you either delegate or schedule for yourself. Right. And then you start to get the resources in for the things that you can't do yourself, you know, and then all of a sudden you actually got an actionable plan to reach the specific goal. Um, We set goals and then we don't necessarily break them down like that. We don't. And I think that that's um, something that my therapist was talking to me about Mm -hmm. in terms of, again, weight loss, because that seems to be like a looming thing for me Mm -hmm. (laughs) at this point in my life. Um, She was saying you need to stop looking at what you ultimately want to look like and think about what you want to look like in a month in three months in like you know breaking things down Mm -hmm. into these intermittent steps because if you're just thinking about I want to be a millionaire that's overwhelming yeah you have to break things down into like you said actionable steps Mm -hmm. that you can and it also helps you to track your progress too like how far off am I like where can I tweak things I like this okay I'm gonna steal that book from you when I leave today thank you (laughs) no worries it'll be a gifted item thank you okay so we're gonna take a break and we'll be right back for some fun Q&A stay tuned is the very fun part of the show we just ask random ass questions i still haven't thought of a fun name for that segment but it's okay are you ready tracy i'm ready okay when you go to the bathroom (laughs) i wish y'all could see her face (laughs) (laughs) oh god should toilet tissue be unrolled from the bottom or the top from the bottom right yeah okay thank you yeah with regard to chicken Poultry of any kind, white or dark meat? Dark. Thank you. I knew it was the reason I loved you. I don't understand why people like a bone in breast. No. I don't care where you get it from, it's going to be dry. Exactly. That's my issue. Thank you. Okay. It's my favorite question of all time. Mm-hmm. So let's say Oprah calls you tonight and she says, I want to fly you out to 
my secret home in, I don't know, where rich people be living. I don't know. Calabasas, whatever. Um, you're going to be there for two weeks. She's going to like give you all her trade secrets. She's going to like give you a show on her network. It's going to be like a bomb-ass experience. The only stipulation is that you can bring one suitcase for two weeks. What do you put in your suitcase? <laughs> um, I am putting all of my best suits, which were... It's a carry-on, Tracy. I don't have that many. Okay, go ahead. All right. Okay, okay, okay. I, I think that I was thinking that you would be like your mama. Like, how do I put my whole closet in it? Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I would put my suits in there, my Oxfords, which I'm only saying this because I feel like her style now, older, has like evolved into exactly what I would wear at all times. Oh my God, so I, I love would, her style, especially her glasses. Yes. Excuse me. Her yes. spectacles <laughs> are just... Amazing. Everything. Yeah. Her shoes and all. So yeah. I would definitely want to like walk in and she'd be like, oh my God, this is my long lost child. Oh, okay. That's the purpose of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I would bring my uh, journals from when I used to listen to her. Um, and she was really the person that introduced me to the secret. Oh, yeah. yeah. I okay. I pack up my vision boards, which all have a picture of her on them. You're talking to the biggest Oprah fan. I know. That's why I, that's why I always, like, tailor this question yeah. to the person, like, based on what I know about them. So, go ahead. <laughs> and I would bring, I would create something for her. And this is a good question because I don't know exactly what it would be. Um, but I want something that she could have in her office that would represent the amount of influence that she's had mm-hmm. on me. And I would definitely pack a very special edition hair umbrella as well. Um, yes, put the product out there. <laughs> yes, for Please, sure. God. One of my life goals is just to have something to have created some good or service that Oprah can't live without. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's what would be in there. And of course, my, my like I would bring a book to give her because she loves books. Mm-hmm. Um, Apparently, she also really loves tequila. So then there's that. Hmm, I think so. I think, if I'm recalling it correctly, there is a girl, uh, Carlene, I do not want to say her last name wrong because I can't remember it right now, but she's like a major event planner. I think that she's the person who told the story. She started out like as an assistant for Diddy Hmm. and she went on to start, you know, like her own kind of event planning type stuff. And I think that she gave Oprah like this one of a kind like tequila because she really likes it. I'm gonna have to go back and fact check that story. Let me know because I, I will. I got you. Find her. I think I would do like a whiskey barrel tequila. Mm. I'm excited for you. I'm excited yeah. for this fictional thing to happen. Yeah. So you cannot say Oprah as an answer to this next thing. Okay. Do you know what a meat cute is? A meat cute. A meat cute. So in no. rom-coms, like in romantic comedies, okay. there are these certain like tropes that happen in every single rom-com since the dawn of time. Okay. There's a meet cute where it's like the the awkward girl who is somehow still freakishly beautiful to be a quote-unquote awkward girl, right? Okay. So she runs into like the love interest, but okay. it's in it's in a supposedly awkward way. Like she bumps into him on the street and knocks everything out of his hand, and okay. it's like oh. Hi, and they gaze into each other's eyes or okay. something. Who in like business would you want to have a meet cute with? Because it always leads to like a lifelong like relationship of some sort. It cannot be Oprah. Sarah Blakely. Who's Sarah Blakely? She invented Spanx. I thought that's who that yes. was. 
Why would you want to meet Sarah Blakely to get us a lifetime of free spanks? Uh, that too, for okay. sure. Yeah. Um, but I actually was—it would be to meet her again because the day I had to make a decision about my patent, meaning spending all my money to get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. School, I went to Nakato after praying that day in church. Y'all love Nakato, and yeah. I will say Nakato is better than Benihana and that. Oh, absolutely. Right. Go ahead. I, I haven't been back to um, but. I sat there and she sat next to me at the hibachi grill and I was like, oh my God, so, you know, I had written her down in my uh, vision map. I had put her on my vision board and my mom made me introduce myself. So I did that. I was nervous as hell. And she um, asked me for my little elevator pitch. And I told her about her umbrella and she was like, I feel really good about that. You should absolutely do it and find me when you do. And she has an office here. Yes, she does. She's based out of Atlanta. Yeah. And Nikado is her favorite restaurant, I found out. And so I would want to bump into her again, give her the product, and potentially have this dope, maybe investor, investee relationship or mentor, mentee relationship. Because I think she is, well, she's the youngest self made billionaire, Mm -hmm. period, according Mm -hmm. to Forbes. Um, And she just represents having a great idea that you thought of course would have already been out already right because girdles have been a thing for forever absolutely yeah and she created a whole new category for herself and and built a company around that so she's that other person that i would love to like have a a meet cute yeah meet cute oh my god i want to like be there i hope to see it and can like (laughs) record it from afar okay last question if you were an atlanta housewife for some god-awful reason (laughs) You know how they have the intros, like the oh, intro slogans? What would your intro slogan be? That is a hard one because I have only made fun of those intros. <laughs> Not thought of my own. Um, would it be something like businessy or would it be sassy? It would be Like I'm both. the boss at home and in the boardroom. Like, and then you twirl. I would, yeah, it would be like, I am the boss. Period. <laughs> That's just it. <laughs> and I wish you could. My <laughs> I wish you could see how your eyes glazed over and like went off into the distance <laughs> when you said it. Yeah, no, that I, wore me down. I was like, hmm, what would mine be? Because I think what what did Candy say? Um, don't mess with the boss, or else you'll get fired. And I was like, no, no, just be the boss. Okay, well, I like yeah. it. You have put some thought into it. A little bit. I still don't That'll have take one. Some time, though. I still don't have one. I don't have one. I don't know. We're still trying to define, like, what all of this even is. So I was like, what would I want to, like, say? I feel like yours would change every week. It would be something (laughs) different all the time because I feel like I'm in a... Like, we're all constantly evolving, but I feel like I evolve all the time, like, more than the average person. (laughs) So I don't know what the hell mine would be. So, Tracy, tell the people where to find you, how to get in touch, all of that good stuff. Yep, so I am on Instagram as Tracy Pickett, ESQ for Esquire, and my first name is spelled T-R-A-C-E-Y. Same thing on Facebook, Tracy Pickett, and on Twitter, Tracy underscore Pickett, because Esquire went fit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, TracyPickett.com, and then uh, for Hairbrella, it is 
Gabrella.com and Ebodicon is Ebodicon.com. So. Oh, and you had another book that you wanted to recommend for the people to read. What's your other additional reading? Yes, yeah, so the four hour work week, which I believe is by Tim Ferriss. Um, that is a wonderful, wonderful book that teaches you kind of the nuts and bolts of entrepreneurship, gives you really um, kind of very practical tips on how to get started and how to make your life efficient if you're still working full time. Oh, okay. I like yeah. it. All right. I'm just going to take both of those from you when I leave here today. Okay. Thank you, Tracy. <laughs> Love you forever. All right. See you guys later. Bye.